Welcome to Bayou Business Download, a podcast in the Greater Houston Partnership where we dive into the data and analytics influencing the region's economy. Today is Friday, November 12th, and I'm your host, AJ Mistretta. I'm joined once again today by Partnership Senior Vice President of Research, Patrick Jankowski. In this episode, we're going to start looking ahead to 2022 and what the new year might hold for Houston. As Patrick prepares his annual employment forecast, we're talking about what his research tells us about the trajectory of a local economy. Patrick, thanks for joining me today. AJ, it's always good to talk to you either in the office in person or over Zoom like we're doing right now. You know, we we are in the office again, but uh, sometimes it just works out that one of us is and one of us isn't. So this Zoom thing, we've kind of adopted it, I think, over the last uh, almost two years now, right? Hybrid all the way, baby. All the way. Well, Patrick, to start off with, you know, how many years have you actually been preparing an economic forecast or an employment forecast for Houston? Well, for me, this is, marks my 12th year of putting together a forecast for the partnership. But the partnership and its predecessor, the Chamber of Commerce, has been doing forecasts for a, a long time. Now, I've dug through the files and I can find documentation that we used to put together an Outlook event back in the 70s. But then, from what I could tell, it was very different. You'd have panelists get together and you get a group of three or four guys in construction or three or four guys in oil and gas, and they would come up with a consensus forecast. And the partnership hosted an event, and each of the panels would present their consensus. Um, We shied away from that in the 80s, especially with the downturn we had then. And we didn't start really forecasting again the partnership until the mid-90s. And and then it was mainly a a few paragraphs in the partnership's newsletter. It wasn't a 20-page document with 400 people in a room and panelists and a national speaker and so forth. So we've, we've definitely upgraded it in the last 15 years. Yeah, something like this evolves for sure. But why do we do it, right? So why does the partnership actually issue a forecast every year? How does it help our members and the broader business community? Well, actually, AJ, it goes back to just the fundamental reason why the partnership exists. You know, we're trying to make Houston a better place. We're trying to help the business community, our members, uh, understand what's going on, which will affect their business, which will affect their employees, which will affect their families. You know, the forecast, it's a tool that the business community can use to try to assess What's going to happen next year when they make their plans for hiring or their plans for investments? Are there plans to expand it to other markets or, or to double down on the Houston market? You know, we provide it. It's a service. And I say members. It's a service to all of Houston to try to understand what's driving the economy, what's affecting our lives here. So how is forecasting today, You know, obviously given the environment that we're in now, different than when you first started doing this, as you said, 12 years ago? Oh, gosh, it was so much easier 12 years ago. (laughs) Easier in the sense that we were in the middle of a fracking boom. I mean, we were just absolutely growing and going. And, uh, you know, I had to decide, was my forecast going to be for 90,000 jobs or 100,000 jobs? It was, it was, uh, that's being a little facetious, but it was just forecasting growth, forecasting growth. And then, as we know, the bottom fell out at the end of 2014. And starting in 15 and 16, it got to be a lot more difficult. It wasn't forecasting growth. It was looking at what sectors are going to be expanding, which are going to be contracting. Well, those that are expanding and expand enough to offset the losses and those that are, are contracting. Now, think about it. We're a, a chamber type organization. Chambers are known for being overly optimistic sometimes. But uh, one of the things I really appreciate is in the forecast, I've never been told to hedge my bets, never been told to, to, to uh, burnish my numbers. I pretty much forecast it the way I see it based on the research I've done. And there are years when I forecasted job loss. There are years when I forecasted significant job loss 
because that's what the reality is out there. Now, I'll give you a little hint. We'll talk about this towards the end of this podcast. Uh, I'm not forecasting job losses next year. Next year will be growth. <laughs> well, oh, that is good. You know, I, I'm curious, what are some of the challenges you face when you're putting this together? Obviously, you're doing a lot of research, but in preparing this, there's got to be some unknowns, so many unknowns in some cases. Yeah, and, and it kind of ties back to the question you just asked me how it's changed and what I get involved in. You know, there's a lot more data available now than I had 12 years ago, uh, data that helps me understand what's going on in the economy. Uh, my network is better. You know, mm. the more I work in Houston, the more people I know, the p- more people I could call up on the phone or send an email to and ask for help. And, and also just, you know, you can't do this 12 years in a row without developing a better understanding of the factors that are driving or influencing Houston's economy. I say the forecasts I've been doing for 12 years, I've been studying Houston's economy for 40 years now. Now that said, you know, some of the challenges that come across, data is incomplete. It'd be nice to have full, it, it, it's incomplete. The other is I look at data and I, I'll know the data is wrong. I know based on other sectors and other things I'm hearing out there. So I'm trying to make a forecast off data that I know is going to be revised. Uh, and, you know, I talk to people, I've got good relationships with a lot of people in the community, but sometimes uh, they have what I refer to as an optimism bias. Mm. And they know I'm asking them questions because I'm going to put it in a forecast. And uh, gosh, if I hear the word, the two words, cautious optimism, one more time, I think I'll <laughs> scream. Yeah, and, th- and that's part of the challenge is trying to get people to tell you straight up, this is what we see happening next year, or this is how my firm is preparing for next year. And so I, uh, I have to filter through some of that, but it's, it's all part of the process. It's, it's part of the challenge and part of the fun, frankly. Yeah. And so what was different for this year, you know, as we have begun to emerge from the pandemic, I think things are looking up pandemic wise, at least, how was this year different than, than other recent years? I'll let you know, last year forecasting for 2021 was probably the most difficult forecast I've ever put together. Mm. We were coming out of the deepest recession that Houston has ever experienced. We lost 361,000 jobs in March and April, and we were just starting to recoup those uh, as in, in May and June and July. We did not know uh, how soon we would get a vaccine. When I, when I put my forecast to bed this time last year, we, we, no vaccines had been approved yet. So we didn't know how soon they'd be approved. We kept on hearing that they would be approved soon. And the other, we didn't know how well they'd be rolled out. We didn't know how well they'd be uptake. So it's trying to figure out, you know, last year, there were so many unknowns. I'd like to think if you go back and read, don't pay attention to the number, but pay attention to the narrative in the forecast. I think I do a pretty damn good job. Pardon me for using my French. I think I do a pretty, pretty damn good job of explaining what was happening in the economy. And it's at forward looking, which is always a challenge. I thought based on what I was hearing out there and what I heard from people that we probably wouldn't start turning a quarter towards until the beginning of the summer. We turned a corner a lot sooner. The vaccine take up was a lot quicker than I thought it would be. We started turning a corner in March and April. Yeah. And that made a difference in my forecast because uh, rather than job growth starting in June, job growth started in March. And so you had three extra months of job growth, which means, frankly, my forecast, the numbers is going to be off this year. But I once again, I'll go back and say, read what I wrote. And I think I did a pretty darn good job of explaining what was going on in the economy and what we just went through in 2020. Yeah, I remember you telling us then, uh, this is going back a year, that 
a lot of it depended, as you said, on the vaccine uptake and when we would begin the process of recovery. Of course, no one expected something like the Delta variant that also had its own effect, right? Even with vaccine up, uptake and so forth, the Delta variant proved more costly in some in some sectors than others. So there are things like that that just pop up that you we can't necessarily account for in a forecast. And I know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses and I'm not whining, but here I am, this is November. I make a forecast and it's got to get all the way through to December yeah. next year. Yeah. And in some cases I'm working with data from September. So I'm trying to forecast 15 months out. Yeah. So yeah. trying to, for, uh, you know, you look at guys like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, they issue a new forecast every six weeks. Gosh, I wish I had that job <laughs> issuing a forecast every six weeks and I wouldn't have to worry about my record. There you go. Well, okay. So on that on that topic, I have to ask you, and I'm kind of throwing you a curveball here. Uh, over the the 12 years or so, you know, not talking about specific numbers, but how often do you think you've you've gotten it right, and and how how often have you been thrown more curveballs that have proven wrong? There have been one or two years. There's one year I was dead on. There's one year my forecast was only off by 100 jobs. Okay. And think about that. An economy with 3 million jobs to only be off by 100 jobs, that's pretty good. There are the years I've been off by 20,000 jobs. But yeah. Part of that is, you know, once in I go, so much attention is paid to that headline number. So much attention is paid to whether I'm going to forecast 60 or 70 or 80,000 jobs. Really, the purpose of the forecast is to try to explain what are the factors driving Houston's economy. Right. Try, trying to explain what is going to influence growth next year. Now, I may be off somewhat in the numbers, but I'm usually dead on explaining what's happening in the economy and what's driving it. It's just getting that order of magnitude and the influence it's going to have on the economy, right? So, Patrick, I know that you don't quite yet have that that actual number, but what are some of the conclusions that you can share with our listeners right now? Well, I've got I've got four big takeaways I can share. Okay, uh, but none of them are going to have a number. The listeners are going to have to put up with words. Yep. Okay. So I guess the the one big takeaway is, and I've I've mentioned this before on the webinars that I do, almost all the easy jobs have been recovered. The jobs that we lost in March and April in the restaurants and in the bars in the retail and in healthcare and in personal services, the the beauty shops and barber shops, most of those jobs have been recovered. Uh, And so we've, we've done real good there with the COVID impact. The other takeaway though, takeaway number two, is that there are four sectors that are holding us back and they are going to continue to uh, have, how shall I say this? I don't want to say be a drag on us, but they're not going to lift us up the way we wish they would. And those are energy, manufacturing, construction, and wholesale trade. I've talked Mm. about this before in the webinars. Energy, we'll see some improvement next year. We'll see some hiring, but we're not going to see the sort of hiring we saw in 2010 or 2011. Manufacturing is tied to energy until we get the rig count back up. We're still operating at half the number of rigs we had prior to the pandemic. Until we get the rig count out, manufacturing is going to struggle. Construction housing is going to do real well. Industrial space seems to be doing fairly well. But we're not getting any office space built. And uh, there's some of the office projects that are under construction are winding down. The other big takeaway, gosh, it's almost become trite. I mean, the news and the media needs to find another story. Yes, it's, it's important out there, but supply chain issues. Mm. And the availability of workers are probably the two things that are going to have the biggest influence on growth next year. Uh, I'm in the camp as I look at the data and I talk to people. I think the supply chain issues are going to be resolved by this time next year. They'll be resolved before this time next year. 
worker availability is going to be a little bit more challenging. And I think that we're going to have to see uh, some rethinking about how we work and compensation and, and just what's expected of work. That yeah. was number three. And number four, I'm not going to give you a number, but I will let you know based on what I'm looking at so far in the data and as I'm running my models, 2022 is going to be a pretty good year for Houston. Awesome. So in all of the research that you've done, what are some of the surprises that you have discovered? Uh, just little things as I dig deeper into the data, things that I, I never thought much about. But uh, there were close to 3,000 people who worked in movie theaters as ushers and selling popcorn and selling tickets and so forth. We lost almost all those jobs during the pandemic. So those jobs won't come back until people start going to the movies. Right. It's just now starting to, in a normal year, the U.S. sells $1.2 billion worth of movie tickets. So far this year, we've sold $400 million, or we're on track to sell $400 million. Mm. So we still have a long ways to go in that sector of the economy. That's an example of kind of a pleasant surprise I discover as I dig deeper into the data. Uh, there, there are other things out there is it amazes me just how much industrial space we've built and we will continue to build. And when I say industrial, uh, industrial is a classification of real estate. It really means warehouse space. Mm -hmm. But it seems like we just can't get enough of it. Mm. And in spite of the fact that we are overbuilding, we have not seen a collapse in, in rental rates. So that tells me we'll still see probably more industrial construction next year, although a little concern right there. Just little nuggets like that that I take and I work at when I'm, I'm putting together my formulas and building my model and understand what's going on. And I'm sure you can extrapolate too. I mean, you know, you gave the the microcosm example, I guess, of, of the movie theaters, but you can, you can extrapolate that to live theater, to uh, other sectors that were particularly devastated, completely shut down essentially during the, the zenith of COVID and have had to slowly come back. It's, it's been proven harder because you're, those by nature are gatherings of people, right? Yeah. It's interesting. So one of the things I've gone to is there's a website, Americans for the Arts, and they've done a lot of surveying and studying there. And when you talk about things like live performances, uh, as they've done their surveys, they say people are ready to go back to the theater. They miss sitting there and listening to, to some good opera or watching a great play but the people who say they want to come back say they will only come back if there's a mask mandate and some say they will only come back if there's a vaccine mandate hmm. and there are stories out there of, of uh, having the ushers not just showing you your seat but if you don't have your mask on they'll show you to the door mm -hmm. and so uh, that gets back to what we touched upon this, this hybrid environment i still still think we're trying to figure out how we're going to operate going into 2022 but I know things are going to be better next year. It's going to be, it's going to be a good year for us. Uh, I think we've learned a lot of lessons in this pandemic. Yeah, I, I like that optimism. Any final thoughts, Patrick, as we wrap this up uh, about the outlook for 2022? You know, the one thing I haven't talked about is the date of the Outlook event. I'm, we're, on December 1st, the partnership is hosting an Outlook event. It, it starts at 10 in the morning at the uh, Hotel Sinesta on the West Loop. It starts with the panel discussion. We've got five prominent members of the local business community, Dan Bellow and Judy Seta and Eric Mullins and Dr. Collender and Alex Lopez-Negretti. They're all going to be on a panel talking about real estate and construction and finance and small business and healthcare and COVID. And it's a chance for you to, to be in the room and ask the panel some questions, ask the panel of experts. At lunchtime, we have a guy named Carl Tannenbaum. He is uh, the chief economist with the Northern Trust. 
he's going to be giving both a global and a U.S. outlook. And Carl just recently got an award for being one of the most accurate forecasters over the last five years. And then I'll get up. And at that point, uh, I will share my headline number. And I will share my slides and give you guys some insights as to what I see going on in the economy next year. So, you know, it comes down to if you're trying to make a business decision, if you're trying to make a hiring decision, or if, if you're, you're having some uh, regrets or concerns, did I make the right decision? You need to come to the event and you'll get some insights that'll let you know, yes, you should spend that extra money, hire that extra person, or, or that it was a good decision to make. Because we're just trying to give everybody insights they can use to better run their business, to better build their business in the economy next year. Absolutely. And as you said, December 1st at the Royal Sinesta Hotel. So uh, Houston.org. Yes, www.houston.org. There's a tab that says events. Click on the events tab. Go go to the Outlook event and sign up. Space is limited, guys. Space is limited. <laughs> Step-by-step guide. There we go. All right, Patrick, thanks for uh, joining me for this, uh, this chat today. AJ, uh, it's always a pleasure. And once again, I hope those who tune into the podcast are getting some information that they can use. And I appreciate them listening. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for this episode of Bayou Business Download. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so via your favorite podcasting platform or by visiting the podcast page at houston.org. There you'll also find links to recent data and news updates and learn how you can get more involved in the work of the partnership to make a difference in Houston and also sign up for the forecast event. Thanks again for listening to Bayou Business Download.